0: Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmund, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham.
1: Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are
0: and have been through all these years. Boomer Sooner. Yeah, shout out to yeah. Ethan for the uh, the slot shamer. That was... I like the tweet. <laughs> I replied to the tweet saying that that was great, and I'm here on the Inside OU Podcast saying... Keith, and that was an incredible tweet. Uh, shout out to you, our friend, our colleague, our fellow American, Keith. And uh, yes, Brady Trantham here on the Tuesday edition via Zoom with Keegan Renault of SoonersWire.com fame and notoriety. Uh, Keegan, you're already pissing people off. You're already trying to get in fights on the twitters. Like I was having my morning cup of cold brew coffee, standing in my kitchen reading stuff and i just see a whole bunch of guys jaden hazelwood is playing the z he's not playing the slot he's not playing the slot at all so really quick before we get into everything fun please quickly discuss what the z receiver is what the h receiver is what the y receiver is and where you think jaden hazelwood is playing so uh Fervently,
1: I'll try to get this in under two minutes. So, Jaden Hazelwood comes back, correct, and he is playing the Z from what I understand. Um, and it showed in the Kansas game on the catch he had on the 33 yard reception. He was definitely playing the Z. Um, it's the same position Marvin Mims plays, same position Charleston Rainbow plays. That doesn't mean both those guys can't be on the same field at the same time because I'm sure in 2018 with CD and, and Marquise Brown that they were intertwining playing the, whoever was the Z and whoever was the Y, whatever. Um, so it used to be with Lincoln that the X receiver was the outside, which is where Theo Weese is playing right now. The Z was where Marquise Brown, Sterling Shepard, D.D. Westbrook played. The Y used to be the tight end, which was Grant Calcaterra, Lee Morris, um, and the H was Nick Basquin, Miles Tees, Michael Jones, um, now it's kind of flipped to where the Y is the H. So where Drake Stoops plays now, where um, obi Obiala will play, um, that is the Y now. And then see, the H-backs have taken over the H position, which is now a um, – they're no longer the H-backs. They're just a wide receiver at the H.
0: You see, the Syrians got into this kind of trouble when they were trying to invent language. Uh, during the bronze age, or you just, you're just making, you're just making shit up right now, Keegan. Like you're just saying all these, this is this now, uh, that from last year doesn't occur, doesn't apply anymore, but simply put for dumb people like me, Keegan, uh, what is the difference between slot and Z because like, I'll admit when I see Jaden Hazelwood in motion, and he lines up literally in the slot. My stupid brain just says, okay, they they threw him in the slot now. I wonder why. Who knows?
1: Yeah, you look at – and this is the best way to explain it. Last year, C.D. Lamb, he was listed as the X. He played the Z for most of the year, and that meant times that he was lined up outside on his own. You go back to the D.D. Westbrook and Sterling Shepard years, they also were lined up as a single receiver or on the outside. It's just depending on the play and the formation. Yeah. So the Z is your go-to deep threat, your, your guy that can go or win a one-on-one matchup in the red zone. That is going to be your Z. Um, and then your slot receiver, in theory or in conversation, is going to be the Nick Basquin, Miles Tease, Michael Jones, Drake Stoops this year, <laughs> guys that block, guys that are kind of your third down safety blankets because they don't have a lot of attention. Um, Those are your slot receivers, so to say. Um, Both of them – I mean, you could be a slot receiver and be a Z. You can play outside and be a Z. It's just the position. It's your best playmaker as a receiver is playing that position, which is why, um, you know, a little topic conversation here. I was able to get off um, some messages here in the last hour. Like, your starting lineup for Oklahoma, you know, moving forward or here pretty quickly is going to be Austin Stogner – he will be at the H. Mm-hmm. The Oese will be at the X, which yes. is the outside. And then you'll have Jane Hazelwood and Marvin Mims, who good luck figuring out which one's playing what receiver position and which yeah. route three they're playing because it's gonna it's not gonna matter. I mean, you can have two Zs on the field at the same time and it, it won't matter.
0: Well, when you explain it to me like that, what that sounds like is your Z receiver is basically your best playmaker. You put mm-hmm. him in a position to make plays to showcases athleticism and you know because you don't necessarily think of cd lamb at all as a slot guy he doesn't have the quickness he doesn't have the agility um of a sterling shepherd of a ryan Broyles like that now i think cd lamb's a better receiver but uh i just keep going back to last year those handful of times where lincoln would call that play where he'd send cd in motion um and then jalen hurts would hand it off to Kennedy Brooks and he'd flick it back on a flea flicker back to Jalen. And as CD Lamb was coming across the line of scrimmage in motion, pre-snap, he'd then curl out from the right tackle and be wide the hell open. So yeah, I guess it just makes sense, but I, I, am fairly shocked, not just because Jaden Hazelwood played and I'll be honest, Keegan, I don't really remember if we even mentioned Jaden Hazelwood that much on the post game show, other than just he played. So I guess now we can kind of get into that. Um, I am shocked that he is playing. Um, when I hear ACL tear around Easter time, I'm thinking, man, that sucks. We're not going to see him this year. And he is playing now for the final stretch, four ga- three games. of Oklahoma schedule played in four, going back to Kansas last week. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that he's playing. I'm happy that he's playing. I'm also shocked that they're so confident that, oh, yeah, he's the best playmaker on the field even though he still has a brace on his knee, even though he needs to get a lot of game reps under him. He's not necessarily uh, up to speed like a Marvin Mims or a Theo East by this point in the season.
1: Absolutely. And with Jaden, it sounds, and I'll, I'll say this, the fact that he spoke to the media today is important.
0: Yeah.
1: Just like Spencer Rattler, like Rattler game, that means they're comfortable with where he's at physically to be ready to go. And that is extremely, extremely important. And like you said, the fact that he was able to come off and Jaden and Lincoln Riley touched on it today a little bit, that it it's all speaks to his character, um, you know, his willingness to get back. And I think the biggest thing that Lincoln's talked about is that he's been so engaged in practice, film study, um, insight, all those things. And he's done a, a tremendous job getting back and not just being, you know, physically ready to play, but mentally ready to play. And that's yep. extremely, extremely important you know, even from a young guy that people may have thought had an ego that may, you know, may have been above that. And it's clear that he's not. It's clear that this is a guy that is completely invested into making the best version of himself, as well as helping Oklahoma become the best team that they can be. And that speaks volumes, like I said, to his character, to his willingness uh, to get back and be ready to go. And it it sounds like he's going to be, from what I've heard in the last hour, he's going to be a major part of what Oklahoma's game plan yeah. is going to be against Oklahoma state.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the ego thing or the character thing, because I, I think that that was a factor too. I just didn't really want to bring it up. Cause I don't know Jaden Hazelwood personally. I don't really know what he's like. I don't cover the team like you do Keegan. So I've never even had a chance to be around him that much, but you would think of all seasons, if a player has a serious injury and I know ACL tears, aren't like they were 10, 15, 20 years ago, but there, it's still a significant injury that can affect your future, especially when you're so young like he is. You would think of any season where a player of his caliber would want to just go ahead and sit out. If he could come back at some point in the season, it would be this year. It would be Jaden Hazelwood. The guy's going to be a future NFL. You know, If he's as good as we all think he is, he's going to be a first-round talent. He, and he's jeopardizing it kind of technically by coming back halfway through the season in a year where you don't lose any eligibility. And you're also coming back halfway through the season on a team that isn't necessarily contending for the college football playoff. They're still contending for the Big 12 championship, so they still have a lot of goals. But I think this speaks very highly of Jaden Hazelwood's character, that he's a team guy. So what you were saying, like he's willing to do whatever, regardless of where he thinks he should be or shouldn't be. He's going to go out there and do what Lincoln Riley tells him to do, where the assistant coaches tell him to do, perhaps. And if so, then all the better for OU.
1: Absolutely, he will be, and it's important that he is a part of the game plan, kind of moving forward. And you're talking about Oklahoma defending and their sixth straight Big Twelve championship, and Brady, how things are setting up right now. And I don't want to speak this into existence because Texas A&M could lose another game, and it ends up being Florida. It's shaping up to be an OU Texas A&M Cotton Bowl down there in Dallas. Or uh,
0: let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because here I'll, I'll just ask you a question straight up. I saw you. You were replying to somebody yesterday on Twitter, and I assume it was just about um, Big 12 championship scenarios for Oklahoma, and I think you'd put OU wins out, Iowa State wins out, they're in. OU wins out, Texas wins out, they're in. Are you talking about, like, the matchup, or does OU have to win out, or Iowa State has to win out as well, or Texas has to win out as, as well? So Oklahoma has to win. Obviously, that's the most
1: important part of them making the Big Twelve Championship, and that's yeah. the only way they get in. Um, if Iowa State wins out and Oklahoma wins out, it but Oklahoma's in and they play Iowa State. If Oklahoma wins out and Texas wins out, it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma makes the Big Twelve Championship and they play Texas.
0: Yeah, because so, I was, but there's I was, other there. I was going to say Iowa State still has Kansas State and Texas, so. Iowa State, Kansas State are going to take care of each other one way or another. Um, and Iowa State and Texas mm-hmm. have a date with each other still. So, I mean, that makes sense. My, like, I guess my question is, what if OU wins out and Iowa State and Texas both lose? Like, what if, what if Iowa State loses to Kansas State and Texas loses to Iowa State? I know this is like a big, it's kind of hard to visualize sure. without prepping. I'm just, is, are those the only two scenarios in which OU gets in? Because with my understanding, no. OU just needs to win out. Because they will have taken care of Oklahoma State, uh, Kansas State, Iowa State are going to take care of each other, so that kind of nullifies their their two losses, and they've already beaten Texas.
1: No, the the death scenario is Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, Kansas State wins out. If Kansas State wins out, it becomes a scenario where if Iowa State beats Texas, yeah, okay. and Oklahoma, if if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, then. Um, and Oklahoma State wins the rest of their games. There's a four-way tie at the top, and I okay. believe that would go for Oklahoma State and Kansas State because they both would be two and one. Okay. Okay. Uh, against the top. That does that make sense? So if, if there's yeah. if if Kansas State wins out and Iowa State beats Texas and doesn't lose another game, then um, it'll be kansas state and oklahoma state in the big 12 championship game okay so the death scenario is kansas state winning out which obviously the numbers speak very opposite of that happening Um, yeah even has even has them losing um maybe have them losing to tcu i believe no they've already played they've already played no there's a there's another game that it's close like where the numbers say that it's either texas tech or Baylor where they're like a touchdown favorite and that's it
0: yeah Um, I would assume it's tech
1: but um. I went
0: back and watched um we don't really need to talk about big 12 stuff too much on this particular episode but just while we're on the subject um I went back and watched the OSU KSU kind of in a condensed version of it because I I was really only paying attention to the score because it was on during the OU Kansas game and I guess I kind of assumed, OK, I guess Kansas State's offense might be playing a little bit outside of their mind right now because we've all we've already kind of talked about what we think of Will Howard, their quarterback. After going back and watching it, I mean, it's just kind of what we touched on on the post-game show, Keegan. OSU was just, they were still dealing with the hangover of the loss of Texas. Their offense was incredibly pedestrian. Their defense had some opportunities to get off the field, but it just missed tackles, just kind of sloppy play that they eventually cleaned up because their defense is obviously much better than their offense uh basically like my whole point is don't come away from the k-state osu game and be worried that oh man K state could they could win out technically they can they have a chance but they're will howard ain't it that offense is not very good and quite frankly as we already kind of know if you've listened to this show they're fairly fortunate to be in this situation in the first place. If it wasn't for OU sleepwalking in the fourth quarter, even with how bad they were earlier on compared to what they are now, uh, OU wins that game by at least a touchdown. And we're all kind of like, well, that was closer than we expected, but you move on to Iowa State. And then OU probably was going to lose that game no matter what. So um, Kansas State's going to lose again, so don't worry about that. So I guess all that means, Keegan, is just you move forward. This is a bye week. Uh, so, like we said on the post game, we are going to uh, still do two shows this week. Uh, we didn't do media corner uh, because we don't want to talk about Kansas again; that was boring. And now I just realized, Keegan, because our patrons did a great job and uh, answered the question that I asked on the post game show about what to do when uh, Keegan. Or no, you brought him
1: up first. Hey, I know. Bro, and I was just going to say. I,
0: I just now realized and remember that I brought up Jalen Hurts at the beginning of this show. So. Keegan, just go ahead and say his name. Say whose name? You know, say his name. Say, you know, the name that won't be spoken of, or not Voldemort. Your oh, favorite, okay. your favorite quarterback in Oklahoma history—that is isn't Landry Jones, Jalen Hurts. There, oh, play the music. Oh
1: shit! Here we go again. Try and do that coffee
0: game. Boom boom <laughs> you'll you'll get to go back and hear it at this point on the uh once the podcast is up keegan because i'm not oh for sure I, i'm not that technologically savvy i can't hit a button on a soundboard it's, it i don't even know
1: if it's that technology technologically savvy we just don't have the uh revenue yet oh yeah that. we got to- oh so you can go subscribe to our patreon
0: it's patreon.com slash inside underscore ou yeah mm-hmm. um especially if you know, you, you listen to this particular episode and you go, man, they're recording on Zoom again. I'm I'm used to them with their microphones and it's clear, clean audio. It's like I'm in the room. And yeah, I agree. Uh, Keegan had some stuff to do today, so uh, we thought it would be best just for him to just stay home and not have to drive down all the way from uh, Edmond Heights, all the way to lowly central Oklahoma City at my humble cave apartment. So we have to do this on Zoom, but there are ways in which we can clean up the audio via Zoom. But like you said, the revenue just ain't there. But you know what? We're trying. We're trying our best.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's just say this. If this podcast happened on Wednesday, I'd be down there with a mic. It's all about when that pay – it's all when that pay stub comes in, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to touch on your Kansas State comment because I do think something that is extremely important to take away from that game from the limited amount that I've watched so far – um, Oklahoma State had a really tough time with White Huber, and I know they had some guys banged up along the offensive line. And Khalid Duke, as well, is a name that I brought up to you way back when. Um, that I, I bought, um, after not after the Oklahoma game, but a couple weeks after he there was the TCU, and you know, and I, I get to the, I get the point that Oklahoma hasn't played a good offense in three weeks, um, and that a lot of their success is because the offense thing. But the way Oklahoma's defensive line is still playing in those games, it's going to be really tough for Oklahoma to uh, for Oklahoma State to block them up front. And I know we're going to get into the Bedlam game and break that thing down every angle possible next week. Um, but overall, it's a uh, no, and it's it's shaping up to where Oklahoma wins out, and it's fine and dandy. Um, I have our graphics here. I can pull this up really quick of where the outlook is in the Big 12. Um, I'm pretty sure it's going to be very apparent that Oklahoma and Oklahoma state have the best chances. Now they play each other this week. So obviously that's going to change. Yeah. But, uh, but I believe those two have the best chances to make the big 12 championship game. And in three, two, one, Oklahoma has a 53% chance to make the championship game and a 36% chance to win the conference. That
0: is the highest. Amongst the, um, amongst the teams that are remaining. And if I recall, when we talked to Steven, and this was after the Texas Tech game, OU's chances to make the conference championship was the highest still, and it was at 33%. So it's basically jumped up 20% points uh, in the last week and a half or two. So good news. And it certainly is trending upward. Here, I'll ask you this, and I'll I'll give you my answer as a fan. As a fan, um, obviously, I want OU to win the rest of their games, want them to get in the Big 12 championship. But if I had to pick my ideal opponent, it would straight up be Iowa State. Because that's the one opponent out of the two that have beaten Oklahoma that I felt like, okay, OU still screwed around and made mistakes, but a lot of times Iowa State just made plays and played and forced OU into some bad mistakes themselves. So it wasn't just OU shooting themselves in the foot. Kansas State was that. OU shot themselves in the foot, regardless of what the hell Kansas State was doing. In my ideal situation, OU wins out, gets the Big 12 championship, and plays Iowa State. We've already played Texas in the Big 12 championship beat them they were a much better team then than what they would be trotting out into the field if they were able to win out and get back in this one this time i don't want to kick their ass again it's already been done uh oklahoma state would have been great because you haven't had a bedlam matchup in the big 12 championship just yet Uh, but unfortunately their one loss thus far was against texas if their one loss was to west virginia they'd be sitting pretty right now if
1: things go as expected iowa state beats kansas state at home They go down. And if Iowa State beats Texas, there's a three-way tie and Oklahoma wins out. And there's a three-way tie between Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, I think, if I'm saying this correctly. Yeah. No, if Texas, man, that's going to be interesting. No, I don't think there's a possibility of a three-way tie unless Texas drops to Kansas State or another game in between there somewhere. So I'm going to escape.
0: Iowa State has to go to – Um, Austin on the 28th. Yes. Yes. That's uh, next week. Iowa State, Kansas State, I believe this week. Is it pretty? I feel like this week is super boring. Iowa State is on a bye. So, yeah, this week.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I, I think, I think there still is a possibility for Bedlam. I think it takes Texas losing another game and Iowa State losing a game as well. Um,
0: which Texas could but, very well lose another game. They they should have lost to West Virginia. West Virginia is just so bad offensively.
1: Yeah, I saw the. I didn't realize that they settled for two. They had to settle for two field goals. Inside Tech, one. the red and red zone, and they had three turnover on downs.
0: Yeah, I believe they got in the red zone or at least to the ten yard line three times, and you know like i could be wrong cuz i stopped i would go back and forth so i might be wrong but i just have a memory of them of west virginia being like around the 10 yard line three times and their score was always 13 now one of those three times they kicked that field goal to get 13 but i just remember going they haven't scored yet mhm yeah they
1: they uh definitely blew that game um, down there in austin and that makes a very un- a unique argument for the kansas state game whenever they play um they they play Chris Kleiman. so it's in yeah. uh, Texas has to go up to Manhattan I believe it's the last game of the year um, for both for both teams so it's going to be interesting no I'm no it's fun this Big Twelve race has been very fun to follow this year I think it's going to play out as we all kind of expect it to, to where Kansas State drops a game and then the winner of Iowa State Texas makes the Big Twelve championship game and the winner of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State makes it um, I think that's probably probably what you're looking at. And it's gonna, definitely going to set up to be a uh, OU-Texas Big 12 championship game. And that's going to be very, very intriguing. That's not me saying. I Like, I would say there's a pathway to them beating Texas. They're just going to have to be able to block them up front. And I just don't know if they can. I mean, Joseph Osai is turning into a top 20 pick right now. I mean, I just that guy is a monster.
0: My thing is I don't know how Texas stops Brees Hall. Sure. Yeah. Because they don't, they don't need, they don't need Brock Purdy to like stand back in the pocket for a long time to allow Joseph Osai to make plays. If they just hand the ball off to Brees Hall. Like they should win that. They should at least control it. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, I think that Texas is definitely going to load the box to stop that and force Brock Purdy to beat them. And um, I don't know if they have anybody that can slow down um, Charlie Kolar or any of those guys. So I'm, no, it's, it's going to be a good game. That's probably the most intriguing game left on the schedule um, for the Big 12 and it's it, it's a bye week so we can talk about stuff like this. I'm interested to see though how what it's going what it's going just what it's going to end up looking like cuz obviously all signs point to Oklahoma being in it and you know and, and you, if they win their sixth straight, man, that's that is so nuts. It is absolutely insane mm-hmm. that the way that this year's gone for them you know, they're getting players back at the right time. It's just everything's kind of falling into their hands, which is what it's been like since 2015, really. I mean, yeah. Texas, and you control your destiny, but you still need some help, um, you know, from some other teams. And they just it's – been, it's been very impressive to watch. And then, obviously, that sets them up for a big year next year. And we, I know we've talked about that about two to three straight weeks now. So it's it's been interesting to watch. Jaden Hazelwood's back. I know we've covered that. I'm trying to think of anything else from the press conference that was interesting, which no, it was kind of a boring presser today. Got to talk to Drake Stoops for the first time in a media setting outside of a post game. Um, he was really, really good. Um, you know, talking about his dad and who's he his still dad coaches him up for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny that they that Dean specified that. I'm comfortable saying his name because you can't figure out how press conferences work, which is hilarious. I mean surprise, surprise. But, but
0: we're all trying to learn. We're all trying to learn as we go along in 2020, especially with the Zoom. But uh really quick one last note on the Big 12 stuff, because I care about these things. They don't really have that much of a factor in what's gonna happen on the field in the present. But I don't know. I don't know why I like like just going back through the series uh history when you're talking about two opponents that have to play each other. Uh, Texas, Kansas State, uh, Keegan, they've played, they've played 20 times since 1913, and it is split straight down the middle with Texas winning 10, Kansas State winning 10. Now, they've only played, let's see, one, two, three, four. They've only played 16 times since the Big 12 was formed in 96, um, and Kansas State has the edge. Now, the last three games have gone Texas' way, So basically Tom Herman is undefeated against Kansas state, but my God, the scores on these games, man, uh, 2017, Austin, Texas wins 40 to 34, 2018 in Manhattan, Texas wins 19, 14. And last year in Austin, Texas wins 27, 24. Um, and you can even go back to 2016, Charlie Strong's last year at Texas, Kansas state won that game 24 to 21. Um, historically Kansas state gives Texas so many fits, so many problems. So, while I don't think Will Howard is that great of a quarterback at all, and I think their offense is pretty pedestrian, uh, Texas isn't very good in their own right. So, that wouldn't shock me if Texas just gets knocked out by Kansas State and OU fans are kind of left holding their breath again about, oh, God, we kind of wanted Kansas State to lose.
1: Well, it's one of those things, too. Like, say Kansas State wins that game and they lose – in. Um, they, they lose to Iowa State. Then you do have a three-way tie, and that's how it becomes bedlam in the yeah. uh, Big 12 championship game, Yeah, which I'd be all for. I mean, I think those are the two best teams in the conference by far at this yeah. point. Um, which, so it would be obviously fair um, if those teams both get in. And to your point, if you talk about Kansas State-Texas, and I know last year Texas ended up winning it, they were a little bit better a year ago. Texas was from a talent perspective. Um, as well as really the last two years. Um, but, I mean, this Kansas State defense, they've got dudes everywhere. I mean, White Hubert, NFL guy. Khalid Duke, NFL guy. Justin Gardner, their corner. I, you've heard me bring bring his name up to you before. 6'2", Buck 80. He locked down Oklahoma all day um, when he was one of the few guys that were available in that secondary. So, I think that game comes down to who can coach better between Chris Kleiman and – Um, Tom Herman I mean it it really does and if if they try to run Texas offense against Kansas State it's not going to work so it's it's definitely an intriguing match and uh, I I think whenever you look at it it's when it's all said and done it's going to be Oklahoma and Iowa State and um, and in some sort of fashion because and here's another thing too that you have to remember like TCU is playing better ball right now Um, they're not playing great but Oklahoma state still has Texas tech TCU at TCU and at Baylor on the schedule. Like those are games that Mike Gundy typically would drop. Yeah. The you,
0: that. Those are the minefields of this conference. You know, like the, the programs like that, where if you sleepwalk into, you know, a road environment uh, in Fort Worth, Waco, Lubbock, you can lose those games because you get all, you get all up in height for Oklahoma or Texas or, The flavor of the month in the conference, whether it be Iowa State or Kansas State, you get up for them, but then you just sleepwalk into Texas Tech and then you lose. So um, OSU has shown me some things this year, but because there's, you know, new money in terms of trying to win the Big 12 championship, um, they haven't really proved that they can go through a schedule unscathed, uh, obviously by losing already. But, you know, you're afforded a loss. And even if you're Oklahoma, you're afforded a loss or two because, benefit of the doubt and it's just inherent on you to improve and get better as a team so that that doesn't happen again so um no it's it's exciting but I think the important thing for OU fans to remember is just worry about OU just they went out they're gonna be fine and they're the best team in the conference in terms of the ceiling and I think you're right Oklahoma State's probably right behind them in terms of the ceiling if every team played their best brand of football on a good day I think you'd put OSU number two but we are going to find out on the field in two weeks for sure
1: and another big part of this is as well um wait a second here no dinner at sydney kelby's tonight maybe this weekend okay um sorry i got a text from my dad uh, um, am i invited cool. to dinner so that, you. yeah you probably could be well, my, you. sydney my brother's wife loves listening to you rant and rave she she relates with you a lot about oklahoma <laughs> football um your your, but, uh, bro- your
0: brother's wife, Sydney, you said? Yeah. Well, hello, Sydney. Thank you for listening to our our silly show.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, you know, and, and another thing, too, now we're to the point where we kind of began this conversation, Brady. If Oklahoma wins out, makes a big championship, I think they're out of the playoff race um, right now, which is obviously everybody gets that. Um,
0: Ooh. But... Ooh. Alabama LSU will not be played this weekend. I'm sorry, cut you off, but that's... that is also that is also very
1: important. Um, yeah,
0: this is a great week to have a bye week. It looks like,
1: yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, Oklahoma wins out, wins the Big Twelve championship. Brady, Texas A and M fools around, and goes nine and one, and misses out on the playoff now because of Notre Dame beating Clemson. You got an OU A Cotton Bowl, and
0: I that will be delicious. I want every. Piece of that. Yeah, I was I was talking to uh, Todd Lisenby last week. We were doing a remote from Twin Peaks North, I think on Wednesday, and he was bringing up some article where he was reading about bowl projections, and I think he brought up the OU A and M Cotton Bowl, and he was like, "That doesn't excite me at all." And I was like, "Well, as an OU fan, that excites me greatly because while OU has dominated Texas A and M historically." They unfortunately do have scoreboard on us because I mean, if we're going to claim scoreboard on Nebraska, then Texas A and M can do that, and they embarrassed the shit out of OU in 2012. A and M didn't embarrass the
1: shit out of OU. Johnny uh, yeah. Man, Johnny Johnny Manziel did. People it, yes. like it's a sport that it's a game.
0: Sport. It's a team sport, though. Sure, but oh my God, was he good in that? game. And while while I've shared my thoughts about the that era of OU football, especially the 2012 team, where if you missed it. Uh, That team played three good teams that year of equal or slightly better talent, and OU lost all three of them in rather dominant fashion, I should say. Uh, Texas A&M was one of those three, Notre Dame-Kansas State being the other two. Having said that, that OU team still had a ton of talent and should not have been spanked the way that they were in the Cotton Bowl against the Aggies. Uh, Maybe some of that had to do with just fatigue from the roster. Maybe some of that had to do with – some of the players didn't necessarily buy what the coaches were selling them at the time. Who knows? But it was ugly, and it would be awesome for Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch to go up against Texas A&M and a quarterback in Kellen Mond, who at times looks like a '50s throwback quarterback. And that if he completes a forward pass, it's like a it's like a gigantic achievement that will be remembered for the life for a lifetime.
1: There was a joke last year, and I deserved it. I, I said last year that he was making progress. He clearly wasn't but he is this year like he he is becoming a better passer and i and then you, I, I will send them to you if you question me here but i have seen some of the nfl guys that i follow that are starting to talk about him as being a a draft guy end of the like at the end like a fifth sixth seventh round guy that someone takes a flyer on um yeah he's put enough good on this year that they're able to do that so it's no it's definitely a uh, you know,
0: that would be a
1: very delicious matchup.
0: He's fairly statuesque. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I somewhat agree with you that he's made progress because he does look like a better player than he has the last two years. Having said that, I, I don't know what this is technically what I'm seeing. Maybe you can help me out here and I'll do my best to describe it. But whenever he completes passes, Keegan, it looks very telegraphed. It's like, it's like the coaches are help are like helping him guide the football to where it needs to go. There's not a lot of playmaking ability out of him that I that I have that I haven't seen yet. There's he's fairly statuesque, like I said. Um, if plays break down and his first read or two isn't there, I mean, there's just not a lot else that he can do. I just don't see a playmaking quarterback, and playmaking quarterback doesn't just mean that he can run and pick up first downs with his legs playmaking quarterback can be your first read isn't there second read isn't there you move around the pocket you find a third guy wide open no you can do that Kellen Mond doesn't do that to me so if OU wins out gets to a New Year's Six Bowl against Texas A&M in the Cotton Bowl A&M has talent they always have had talent OU should spank the shit out of them
1: they should um I'll say this about Kellen Mond and like the offense that A&M runs it's very NFL-esque so like Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, like, Kellen Mond doesn't have to be an elite quarterback for Texas A&M to have success offensively. Yeah. So, um, I I think that's really important. Now, if you do start getting into that game, Texas A&M's defensive lines, they've got monsters everywhere. A couple guys that people from Oklahoma, if you follow recruiting, know, and Bobby Brown. Um, the guy that was between OU and A&M and chose AM late absolute mammoth of a human being and then another guy that you've heard me say this that I said last year that I thought Oklahoma two years ago need to be more involved with early was DeMarvin Leal um, a guy that chose between OU A&M and Texas and goes to AM. and m so um, obviously fan favorite Leon O'Neill Jr also star of that <laughs> Texas AM defense so no, it's juicy. Um, that it, it excites me if that's the matchup because that's like if OU's not going to play in a playoff game. Like, don't get me wrong. Like OU Auburn, there were people like that were saying Oklahoma couldn't deal with their physicality, which was just an obviously horrible statement to make. Um, and, and observation about Oklahoma it's that year. La-
0: it's a lazy statement. It's what lazy people say. Oh, they're in the SEC. There's a different breed of cats. Like, i mean, okay whatever but that game
1: really didn't do anything for me like it's OU Auburn like I was excited to watch it but if it's OU A&M like that has recruiting ramifications it has notoriety ramifications another dent in the uh you know SEC armor a little bit if Oklahoma can go and win that game so no it's it's definitely intriguing and how this season's kind of progressing? That's what it's looking like. I, I think you know A and M has Auburn at the end of the year. Um, that's going to be a tough game because Auburn's defense is good. But no, it's it's uh, it's setting up for that. And I that is as I've said this about two or three times. Deli- it is a very delicious matchup because the 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 shit that is going to be said between the bases leading up to that game is going to be unbelievable. Well, I mean, it's the- been what. Eight years in the making now? Did we just get another Amber Alert? Yeah. That's not good.
0: Hmm. 14-month-old black female taken by 37-year-old black male suspect in a homicide. In a homicide? In a homicide, yeah. I think the first one said suspected homicide or something and now they've changed it. That's sad. Anyway... Yeah, uh, look, A&M, even when they were in the Big 12 and average, they had talent. They had talent in the trenches. They had talent-skilled guys. Sometimes they had a good quarterback. Um, And now that they're average in the SEC, they're exactly the same program. They just have a little bit more flair to them because they put the SEC patch on their jersey, and we know what that can bring. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, That matchup does a lot for just the short term. It doesn't do anything long term does a lot for the short term for Oklahoma in that recruiting battles could be won potentially with that game. Not like, not like Joe Mixon picks Oklahoma because they beat Alabama in the sugar bowl. Not like that, but it's, it's more ammo Lincoln Riley and the staff can throw at uh, those Southeast Texas kids of like, Hey, do you want to go to AM or do you want to go to OU? I know they're going to tell you that they play in the sec and it matters more there and it's better football, but we just spanked their ass in the cotton bowl in the heart of Texas. So where do you really want to go? So they can do that. Then, of course, with a young team, two early losses, springboarding them into, obviously, in this scenario, they win the Big Ten championship. If they finish off the season like that, they're going to be top two, top three going into 2021, assuming that that season is relatively normal, God willing, in terms of scheduling and COVID. However, we have handled it by that point. So, no, it, it's big, but uh, I hate getting ahead of myself, Keegan, because... I'm a superstitious, crazy psycho fan. OU's got OSU, and that's not a a gimme. It's not a gimme by any means, but um, one thing I did really want to get into on this show, since it is a bye week, is fun little lists. And I asked you, Keegan, to rank your top 10 players on this offense and this defense.
1: Before, you wanted to get into Spencer and Austin Sogner's status as well. Oh, yes, Um, yes. I do want to say that I have learned today that Sogner will be fine. It's just a deep tissue bruise, which is a problem. I mean, that's something that can hinder him for multiple weeks, but it does sound like Spencer Rattlers was a hip pointer, which is a little bit easier to overcome what um, I thought. Than, a deep, than a deep eye bruise. So um, yeah. I think that both, both those guys will be okay for Bedlam, but I would wager that neither of them practice this week.
0: Yeah, and – kind of the shame i mean lincoln needs to do a better job in my opinion of coaching spencer rattler and helping him understand his value to this team and his value to this team is when he's practicing when he's getting better every day with his guys with his teammates and when he's on the field 100 because if he's not able to throw the ball with his pinpoint accuracy that he's been able to show us keegan with 100 percent health then he's not as good of a player and in fact i don't know if i mentioned this in the post game if i did to our patrons sorry if i'm repeating myself but to the non-patrons you'll get this little silly take and I'll admit this is a little like I'm reaching a little bit but this is based off of my frustration after seeing Spencer playing against Kansas when he was visibly hurt even that even the Stogner injury you can connect some dots from Spencer Rattler being in that game because on that throw Spencer Rattler doesn't step into his throw because he can't and so there's more air under the ball which causes Austin Stogner to have to climb the ladder to catch the what should be a fairly easy pass and because he has to climb the ladder he's a little bit more exposed to a safety coming down to make the kneecap tackle which I know Lincoln kind of criticized that tackle I don't know what coaches expect defensive players to do in that situation the guy's six foot seven like you can't you can't hit him in the head you can't hit him high or you get thrown out and now you're saying you can't hit him in the knees the guy is gigantic you have to tackle him so the easiest way is to go for his legs wasn't a dirty play but Spencer Rattler not being able to step into his throws kind of caused that to happen. And that's what happens when you do silly stuff like that. When you are 203 pounds as a quarterback and try to act like that, you can knock somebody over at the goal line, like understand your importance and then see how it trickles down to your teammates because you're not making the passes that you are typically making in practice when you're healthy. But that's me on my soapbox. I I know it's a little far-fetched and crazy, but Now, like you just said, two of OU's better players on offense may not practice this week because they're just dealing with minor, just nagging types of injuries. Yeah,
1: he needs to understand his value, and it's against Kansas. If that's against Oklahoma State, I'm sure you're fine with it if it's an important touchdown. Um, I'm sure everybody's fine with it. Yeah. And then as well, as it does kind of go hand in hand. I don't think, you know, another quarterback's in there and makes that throw to Austin Stogner. I'm sure he gets hit the same way. Um, I'm not sure I'm with Lincoln about that it should be outlawed, that kind of hit, Um, unless it's, like, above the kneecap, I guess. But that even – I mean, the target to hit these guys is just becoming smaller and smaller. Oh, yeah, and then
0: remember the fact that, you know, tackling um, is not necessarily taught as it it once was, like, at a younger age. Like, these kids, especially in Texas, Oklahoma, like, the high school football – crazy states it's just seven on seven it's just flag football that's all they emphasize mm-hmm. they don't you're not even allowed to really hit anybody anymore in practice so you never really learn how to properly tackle anybody which is why you get to college in the NFL and guys are like using their heads as missiles
1: absolutely no I'm with you and it's you know what Lincoln said was kind of eye-opening a little bit I, I'm not sure I agree with it uh, but uh, to wrap this up but does sound like both those guys will be
0: a okay for Bedlam. That's good. Uh, <laughs> here's the funny thing, and I, I just kind of realized it er- um, yesterday. Um, Post game show, we, we kind of laughed at Spencer Rattler on the reverse, where he just kind of jogs upfield. But the reason why we laughed at that was because uh, I, one of us brought up, like, I don't even know if he would have, if he was healthy, if he would have gone out of his way to block anybody, because we both remembered that Iowa State player, Seth Gallon like reverse field. And had a lane and Spencer was in front of him and Spencer just didn't even move forward to help block and it was just like yeah I'm I'm not going to do that it's like well if you're not going to go out of your way and block for somebody then don't unnecessarily try to drop a shoulder into somebody on the goal line when you can just coast right in and be healthy but that I worry about the kid man I worry about him I'm worried about Spencer Rattler's health and safety it's all about you know the kids having fun he'll be all right Good. So
1: just not he'll he he just needs not to be an idiot and try to run someone over against
0: Kansas. Your words, not mine. So Keegan, I did ask you to list the top ten players on offense and defense uh, this season, and I didn't tell you to uh, rank them according to players that are playing right now. But everybody is basically playing that is able to play on this team um, that hasn't opted out you know, that isn't out for the year. Um, so, and I don't think Braden Willis is going to be on your top 10 anyway, even though we haven't really seen him since his uh, initial injury against Kansas state. Uh, but I will, um, I will start off with defense because I just want to see your reaction to, I'll start from 10 and go up to one and I'm just going to list them all off. Then you can list yours off and then we can kind of just huddle back up and talk about it. So, on defense, I have at number 10, PFF's favorite son, Trey Brown. Number nine, DeLarian Turner-Yell. Number eight, Josh Ellison. Number seven, Woody Washington. Number six, Brian Asamoah. Number five, Jaden Davis. Number four, Isaiah Thomas. Harryon Winfrey at three, Nick Benito two, and Ronnie Perkins as number one. Even after just two games, Ronnie is clearly the best player on this defense and could possibly be the best player on the team. Quick reaction. I think it's pretty good. I, I struggled with putting Trey Brown in the top 10, but I feel like, I mean, you go back to the Texas game, he's been a completely different defensive back than I can remember all of last year, quite honestly. He's made plays, and I can't deny them. And I hope we see a lot more of that on a Saturday when they, or two weeks when they play Oklahoma State.
1: So as I said, yeah, I, I have no issues with, your list at all i think you have one guy a little too low and i think you're not including one member that needs maybe needs to be listed and i don't know if you did list them or not i can't can't really top of my head but my i'm gonna go one to ten because it's easier for me that way
0: um number one would be nick nick benito oh you're number doubling three. down on your on your nick benito stock Gotta be consistent. I will,
1: I will go number
0: two will be Ronnie Perkins. Number three, Perrion
1: Winfrey. Number four, Isaiah Thomas. I think you had him a little low.
0: I have him Maybe. four too. All we have so far all we have so far is Ronnie and Nick are switched.
1: And then number five, I would agree with you, it would be Brian Al- Osamoa. Awesome and then number six, I would also agree with you, it would be Woody Washington. And then I think that this is where. It does get a little bit interesting because um, I know he's only played in a couple games, but uh, I, I'm immediately I'm, I'm going to go number seven, Josh Ellison, as you did, and then number eight, I will go with Trey Norwood.
0: Ooh, that's a good pick. I was actually kind of going back and forth between Trey Brown and Trey Norwood. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't go wrong with either one. They've, they've performed well when called upon so far, and they've made mm-hmm. plays, which is you know the, the least thing that we've been begging for. So they've done their job at least the last three to four weeks.
1: I will go then number nine, uh, Jaden Davis, number 10, and, yeah. and I'll keep Trey Brown off my list for now.
0: Oh, <laughs> some ex- extra salt in that little declaration that sounded like. I'm sure we'll get into that maybe on a future episode, but – uh yeah like I think did you did you have Josh Ellison listed? I did. Okay. At okay.
1: number 6 or 7, either so, him or Woody Washington.
0: So basically our lists are fairly similar except you just have Trey Norwood and I have Trey Brown. So all that tells me is that we're on the same wavelength and OU's defense is c- clearly better the closer it is to the line of scrimmage. Um not having Deshaun White is a little troublesome like I feel like at this point in the season and at this point in his career, I would hope that he's in on a top 10 list on the, on defense, but I can't put him on there. Um, and then everybody else that like makes p- plays are just rotational players. So like a Marcus Stripling, who's kind of come on the last few games. Uh, Jordan Kelly's made a play or two a handful of times. Um, uh, David Aguebu. Just the consistency isn't there. Sometimes it's just because of the player, and sometimes it's just because of the rotation guys. So um, a fairly stout defense, even e- even though the defensive line gets all the credit, and, and deservingly so, you can still make a case that at all three levels, it's at least solid, which is a gigantic step in the in the right direction according to where we were in 2017, and especially 2018.
1: For sure. And as long as that group... It, you know, obviously you want it to be more spread out amongst the players on the defense in terms yeah. of where, where they are. you want to have more secondary members in the top five whatever. Um, but the fact that your four best players are your best, you know, along the defensive line for your top six, top seven, um, that's extremely important. And, you know, moving forward, that's what you want to see. You want to have more defenders, uh, more defensive line guys in your top, because that means that's only going to help these guys in the secondary have success as well.
0: Sure thing. I mean, I think even going back to last year, which is a fairly good defense in our, like, I would assume in your opinion, in my opinion, I mean, screw the peach bowl, but in terms of big 12 play, it was a very good defense. Um, you could probably say like, you would obviously, obviously say Parnell Motley was on the top 10 from the secondary. And then maybe DTY, I wouldn't have put Trey Brown on that list. I wouldn't even have put Jane Davis on that list because after he started off fairly well, he hit a freshman wall and it's to be expected that the fresh that a freshman kind of falls off, um, as the season progresses. So really last year, Pornell Motley DTY, and now we're already trying to put either Trey Norwood, Trey Brown, DTY, uh, in the top uh, and Jaden Davis. So it's trending in the right direction. And I think just from play on the field, players that are already here, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, developing under Alex Grinch and the defensive staff, and then, of course, the recruiting, which you have a better familiarity with, Keegan. It seems like OU, maybe next year, maybe as early as next year, but definitely within the next two years, if we were just to make another top ten list at that point, it's probably going to be fairly evenly distributed amongst the defense.
1: (coughs) Yeah, yeah, as you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. You want that to be more distributed. Um and, and that's gonna it's going to how do I say this? That's going to come. It's it may not be in 2021. It, it may be 2022, but that time is coming whenever these defensive backs are gonna be able to come in. Like you would have Parnell Motley in your top four a year ago. Yeah. Um, and you, you just gotta you gotta continue to build more of that and continue to build more of that, and we'll see what they do. But it it it's like I said again, it's important that for this year without you know, inconsistent. The secondary has been that your top four guys are, are along the defensive line. I think that's extremely important.
0: Yep. All right, Keegan. So uh, you're, the, you're the quarterback whisperer on this podcast. So I'm going to let you either go from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 on offense, but you get to go first. It's
1: easier for me to go 1 to 10, um, and I'll go number one, obviously will be Spencer Rattler, um, uh, all, the most talented guy on this offense by far, not even close. Um, number two will be Ramondre Stevenson and obviously his development and his play the last two weeks, I think coincides with that. Number three will be Creed Humphrey. And you're going to, this one's going to escape you a little bit <laughs> and you'll get what I'm coming from. Number four is Jeremiah Hall. The guy what is he's,
0: consistent. The guy is very what the, consistent.
1: What he's brought to the table for them in terms of blocking this year, I think has elevated them in the running game so much. Yeah. Um, And then number five, I will go with Adrian Ealy at right tackle. I think he's just done a fantastic job for much of this season. And it's been one of the more underrated, so to say, players along this Oklahoma offense. Um, I believe I'm in number six. Number six, I will go with Marvin Mims. Number seven with Austin Stogner. Number eight, this is where it gets tricky between eight and ten. Yeah, I agree. It, because it can go one of two ways because like Theo Weiss was so important in that Texas game, but the drops have been so rough as well. Yeah. And it's uh, you know, it's, it's clearly a trend. It's got to stop. Um, but I would have him at number eight, number nine. And again, this is where it gets a dicey. And it's going to have to go uh, amongst how you feel here. I'm going to go TJ Pledger.
0: Ooh, he hey he's he has earned. If you're going to put him on a top ten list on offense, the dude has performed. I put a lot of stock in rushing for over 100 yards against Texas because historically that it means something. It's it's a it's the stuff of legends at OU. I'm not saying TJ Pledger is a legendary running back, but it's. I mean, there have been great running backs that have come through here that didn't do that. So I. He's not on my top ten list, and we'll get to that in a second. But I'm not going to say that you're an idiot for putting him on there.
1: And this off by saying, I have no clue what I need to do with number ten because it's between like three or four different people. Um, but I, I do think Marquise Hayes has come along nice the last three weeks. So I, I was really, 10.
0: I was really hoping that you would just say screw it, Mikey Henderson, play him more. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Yeah. So once again. Like our top four is fairly similar to like like it was on the defensive side of the ball, and like on the defensive side of the ball, our top two players are the same. You just switch them around. Like I said on the post game show on Saturday, Ramondre Stevenson, I feel, is the best offensive player on this team right now. Has nothing to do with ceiling or promise or anything like that. Just there is, I don't think there's anything Ramondre Stevenson cannot do that he is that that he is able to be asked to do in this offense. So Ramondre is my number one. Spencer Rattler, number two, Creed Humphrey, number three. And I agree that Adrian Neely has plateaued, but I feel like the overall body of work, I, um, I, I put Adrian Neely at four. Um, I, I feel a little queasy about it because I do agree he's plateaued the last few weeks and who knows how that trends, but hopefully um, going up against good defensive line in Oklahoma state in two weeks, I feel comfortable that Adrian Neely is the right tackle. So, Number five, I have a little bit higher of an opinion of Theo East than you do, I guess. Um, The drops are concerning and somewhat of a trend, I agree. But I've also seen far too many NFL catches. I've seen far too many big adult, big boy catches in third-down situations from Theo East. And we've started to see him showcase a little bit of his athleticism uh, as we've gotten further along in the season. So maybe I just think highly of him. And that's why he's there. But I put Theo at number five, number six. I also have Marvin Mims. I think the body of work kind of speaks for itself. Uh, Number seven, I put Marquise Hayes and you might think that that's silly Keegan. And I, if you do, I respect your opinion because you're obviously the film breakdown guy and you have a better understanding of like how well he's actually playing, but he's cleaned up the penalties. Hasn't been penalized. I feel like since Kansas state maybe, or Iowa state, and that alone has helped the offense. Just don't get dumb penalties. Don't get back-breaking penalties that kill drives. That's good. And the offensive line as a whole has improved the last few weeks. The running games got going, and the, and the uh, pass protection has been great. So shout-out to Marquise Hayes. Eight, Austin Stogner. Nine, Jeremiah Hall. And number 10, Ty Reese Robinson, because he's cleaned it up. I I wanted to put, put Swenson or Anton Harrison, but – I think combined, they they form a fine left tackle, but I, there are flaws with both of them. Um, so I just couldn't put one of the other on a top 10 list.
1: I agree. I have no qualms about your top 10. I think, you know, whenever you look at it by the end of the year, are we include Mikey Henderson in that conversation? I think we are. Um <laughs> Uh, I just think he's going to continue to get more and more. And I, I made this joke to a, a media member here. Like he is going to force Braden Willis, who is a really good tight end to transfer.
0: Yeah. And especially if Brayden Willis doesn't find a significant role, if he's healthy and able to go at some point later on this year, but Mikey Henderson is, he's going to be that guy that OU fans really, you, you see glimpses of him. And then maybe his value gets overblown um, going into the bowl game, going into the off season, but the guy looks exciting. So hopefully like the question I asked you last night, I was texting you Keegan and I asked, is there a way for Jeremiah Hall and Mikey Henderson to be on the field at the same time? And as much as that sounds cool, I don't know who you take off the field or why you would take that person off the field. So Mikey Henderson's time is coming. It just may not be this year other than just some spot duty. For
1: sure. I, you know, I, I think there is though a, a way that Mikey Henderson becomes a more important figure on this offense. And it's just using him. I mean, heck, just put him out there. I I mean, it's the one thing that he doesn't do well right now is block. Like put him out wide, let him go get
0: after it. Why not? Yeah. We will see. Uh, Keegan, any uh, final thoughts as we wrap up our Tuesday pod, uh, Thursday, we will still be at Vanessa Beer House, uh, even though it is a bye week. We will still be there. Um, we might just be talking about college football at large, uh, especially you know Alabama, LSU just got postponed. A and M, Tennessee got postponed. Yeah. Um, fortunately for Big Twelve fans, it seems like the Big Twelve has navigated this season fairly well. I mean, the I mean, was it just OSU and Baylor the only game that's been relegated to a later date? and not been played so so far so good for the big 12 i don't know how the big 10 going to finish i don't know how the pac 12 i mean who cares what they do anyway uh the sec i can't explain this other than this is an airborne virus and it affects i saw that Al-
1: at either auburn or alabama or lsu auburn or lsu this is stemming from halloween
0: parties college kids are going to be college kids man like there's This is hard for breaking.
1: I know this is crazy, but COVID's not over people. Look what's happening in our state. If you live in the state of Oklahoma and you're not paying attention to this thing, it is going in a bad direction. And that's, this is not a political, this is a health thing. Do what you need to do. So we can do what we want to do here in four to five months. Whenever this vaccine's ready by God,
0: God willing, God willing. Um, well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Uh, don't be afraid to uh, leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that. Um, also, we've mentioned the Patreon. You know, go check that out. Uh, we had a new patron, uh, Mister, by the name of Mister Matt Stafford, um, a subscribe recently. He actually DM'd me and asked, uh, "Which tier should he get if he wants everything?" Um, $4 gets you the post-game show, gets you two other podcasts that I, that I put out, Media Corner, the full interview uh, with whoever we, I talked to on that Monday, and then flashback fr- Sooner Flashback Friday, a little historical jump-back audio thing that you can listen to. Gets you all that, and then $5 gets you all that, plus Keegan's film review. So uh, if you have any questions, just don't hesitate to DM Keegan or I. And we'll do our best to help you out. But shout out to all of our new patrons. Shout out to all of our new friends. And then, again, if you don't subscribe to the Patreon, no no harsh feelings. We still love and appreciate you, but we will find you. And Keegan will, uh, he will yell at you like he yelled at his dogs uh, that you didn't hear because I did him a favor. I'm going to edit that out. But Keegan, you got to do something about your anger, man. I know. Heaven forbid they don't bark. <laughs> Heaven forbid my
1: dogs don't bark all the time. It's literally all the time.
0: They just want so. to be on the pod, man. It's the inside. Of, it's the, it's the best OU podcast out there, according to my mom. Everybody, thank you so much. Y'all have a good rest of your day. And boomer sooner.